Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly slash four nightly movie podcast, exploring the top 250 movies of all time as voted for by MDV users. I'm Darren. I'm Andrew. And I'm Marianne. Uh, and today we're going to talk about Wonder Woman, which came into the list last week upon release, um, shot up into the high 190s and has been sort of trailing down ever since. For this, we are joined by Marianne, as you heard. So Marianne, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Marianne, uh, which we've already established. <laughs> I'm doing great. Um, I have a blog uh, that is mainly about gender and pop culture at marcelcastle.com. I am a woman, <laughs> which I assume is part of the reason Bra- I'm here. Breaking, <laughs> breaking, breaking from the format of the show. Which is mostly white guys talking about stuff they know nothing about. Would you like more? <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to know more? Well, okay. Well, what about your favorite films, for example? What just give us a sort of um, sample? My favorite film of all time is Spirited Away. Uh, oh, I tend nice to yeah. um, drift mainly towards children's movies. I feel so anything by Studio Ghibli, I'm very very pleased with. Yeah. I've been put on the spot now, so I can't yeah. think of There's any no other pressure. movies I've that seen. Is, that is a fact. <laughs> even the one that we are here to talk about. That, I mean, even that. Like, <laughs> I'm holding uh, on to it by a thread. <laughs> a golden thread, if you will. Um, all right, then. So I think that's a nice sort of segue into talking about the, the film just in general a bit before we get into sort of spoilers and stuff. So, so Marianne, what did you make of Wonder Woman? I thought it was a perfectly competent superhero movie (laughs) reasonably (laughs) adequate yeah i mean given what dc has been putting out it was like well that was enjoyable which you know is a high bar in context of what was the last one suicide squad suicide uh, the, the the train wreck that was suicide squad and the slow clunky pondering behemoth that was Batman versus Superman. So yeah, I mean, I had a nice time. <laughs> I feel like that's the that's the first time somebody said that on a DC movie since maybe Superman 2 in 1980. I feel like DC have just been like repeatedly kicking their fans in the face like with their cinematic universe. I, I... They, they, It's like they, they released Suicide Squad to make Batman versus Superman seem better by comparison and, and to make Wonder Woman seem especially good. <laughs> um, I, I put it in the, the, it's a, it's 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 like those managing uh, expectations a praise sandwich, right? <laughs> you, it's you an open it. face appraise sandwich. Yeah, you put you, something you, terrible in with yeah. And then you put something absolutely abominable in. And then you release something that is reasonably competent for a superhero movie. Um I feel obliged to, to jump in here and say actually I don't hate the, the DC movies as much as everybody else does. Suicide Squad is a nightmare and abominable. Mm. Man of Steel is, is dull and boring and stuff. But it's not as bad as Superman Returns, which was uh, one of the worst movies I have ever seen. Yeah, I don't think I've even seen Superman Returns. I, I liked Superman 3. <laughs> <laughs> With Richard Pryor. With Richard Pryor, yeah. <laughs> Uh-huh. The, that was bonkers. <laughs> that was the one where he went evil and drank, is it? If I'm correctly, that's where the, the image of him with the, yeah, the yeah, come from. And, um, and he um, there's the bit where Richard Pryor's at the, at the top of a uh, skyscraper and skis off, and you're thinking, oh, Superman's going to catch him. No, he's just going <laughs> to land on the street level. Um, everything will be fine. Yeah. But anyway, back to the movie we are talking about today. Apparently, post Superman movie, yeah. a post Superman movie. But yeah, in terms of, in terms of Wonder Woman, right, which is a movie 
that seems to arrive with a lot of fanfare and a lot of controversy, and it seems to have been like a, a nexus of, of pop culture discussion. Like, I mean, one of the things about Wonder Woman is it feels less like a film of itself and more like a, an, an event and almost a front in the culture wars or whatever, but it feels like something that is, I don't want to say bigger than a movie, but something that has become bigger than a movie, if that makes sense. I don't disagree, but at the same time, every time there's just a movie with a woman in it, everyone is like, culture wars! <laughs> it's like, what? Like, is it the existence of women that is controversial here? Like, it's very strange. I don't know. It really is. And it's, it's really strange because it is, if people make such a big deal of it, but also because you get, like, the, the weird thing about Wonder Woman is the fact that it, it seemed to have very little publicity from the studio as it was coming out. It seemed like the biggest thing that happened publicity-wise for the release of Wonder Woman was those Alamo women-only screenings, which then set off those those trolls on the internet, which turned into this massive news story, which which then became like this... The story of Wonder Woman became the story of this this one douchebag in New York trying to crash a women's-only screening uh, to raise money for charity. They ma- the trolls make it so easy, though. They're just like, oh, <laughs> like, we are your publicity machine. <laughs> you <know>? I, <laughs> yeah, what it, it's like with... Um... With Ghostbusters, it, it, it's like, of, of course, more people were going to want to see that movie because of the, 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 the way that it was being treated before it was even released. Yeah. And I think, I think, I think we had a similar view of that, that yeah. like it, 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 was, it was a good movie. Yeah, it was, it was a good, not, not it as wasn't good as, as good as people uh, wanted it to be and it wasn't as bad as other people wanted it to be. Yeah, yeah. It was a quite enjoyable film, which it felt like because you'd had that build up of just like it became an event and a statement. It, it yeah. just it felt like the fact that it was a good movie of itself wasn't enough almost. Yeah. Uh, which is, is very, very strange. And I think, I wonder if that's the case with, with Wonder Woman. Like, I really, really, really enjoyed I, Wonder Woman. Like, yeah, and, I, and even, even, even for trolls, well, I suppose maybe, maybe, maybe they just have these fantastic imaginations. But the, the, if, I, I suppose if they'd went to see the movie, even, even, even like, even, even, even for the most kind of, was there even that much in it that would offend even the most backwards or um, of of people? Yeah. Well, I mean, there there was a woman in no man's land, Andrew, and that's that's the label that we're using here. The only thing I can think of that would actually be offensive, and it's it's phrased in such a way that it's not really offensive, is the bit where uh, Diana's talking about how men are necessary for procreation, but when it comes to pleasure, unnecessary. Which seems like a line that's intended to imply that all the Amazons are, are also, like, they're a perfectly functioning society, you know, without men. But, yeah. but also, if you're offended by that sort of thing, for whatever reason, you can assume it's just a reference to masturbation. But actually, that's one of the things that sort of struck me about Wonder Woman, is it's, it's a feminist movie, but it's not... I feel like Ghostbusters was intentionally confrontational. Yeah. In that you had stuff like the repeated castration imagery. You had stuff like the bad guy being basically one of Which these online Which was nice, shows. because, Which, yeah. I, I it, really, it, really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, because, the, 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 it's, um, because it's making, like, a strong choice. I, well, I, that's it. I mean... I did, like, in, 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 in this movie, I, I guess it, it was, it's a very kind of, like, four quadrants uh, version of, 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 of feminism, no? Okay. Right. Okay. Idea. Like sometimes a movie about a woman is just a movie about a woman. It doesn't have yeah. to be a feminist yeah. statement. And I think this is the problem in the culture right now. Is like we're so starved of female characters in lead roles. Whenever there's a movie like Wonder Woman, 
everyone loses their minds and also it's not just like is this a good movie it's like is this all things to all women yeah. and who cares ultimately i think yeah it's, I, you know I, yeah i think we're we're probably allowing um or may, maybe i i'm allowing all these kind of think pieces to to influence steer the narrative i guess i mean i'm someone who writes about gender and pop culture yeah. but have like i have stopped doing that in recent years because it is just like firstly such a circle jerk and secondly it's almost becomes counterproductive to go into every movie with a female protagonist being like is this feminist um, is this the heroine we need right now yeah and as because firstly it kind of implies that like every movie should carry this burden and every movie should like deliver the feminist hero we need and it's like no we're allowed just to have like competent movies that happen to have women in them mm. you know it doesn't need to be groundbreaking stuff every time well, this I suppose is... from 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 the point of view of having having even though we never covered ghostbusters i think we've spoken about it and that point about like um having uh uh these well, having role role models are well, little are girls. That, like we have, a, that, we have a friend who has a daughter, and, and yeah. she can grow up and she can play be a Ghostbuster, and no yeah. other boys can say, "Well, there's no girl Ghostbusters." She can be the receptionist. Yeah. Whereas, whereas Wonder Woman isn't anything new. She isn't, yeah. but I mean, it feels like she's been underexposed compared to the other members of the trip. Like it feels like Superman has had like a bajillion terrible movies in the space that Wonder Woman has had a seventies TV show. Spider Man has had tons. Spider Man so has been rebooted while we're recording this <laughs> yeah. podcast, yeah. and he's um, also like Benjamin Buttoning Button yeah. backwards. He's just getting younger and younger, <laughs> um, and more British. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, no, it is really strange um, that. There is, and I mean, I think like the line I always hear is like, "Oh well, Catwoman," and and like Catwoman was like fifteen years ago, guys. That sounds so terrible. <laughs> it was, but it was a terrible movie, but not because oh, it was a woman. No, it was, it was, it was a it was an awful, awful movie. In the same way that Steel, starring Shaquille O'Neal, was a terrible, terrible sure. movie. Like, but I think the thing is like when there's like a superhero movie with a male superhero that's a flop, no one's like. I guess that's enough of these man movies yeah. for a while, guys. Yeah. You know, just, yeah. you know what, that's not what, working. What, <laughs> whatever we do, um, let's not put Ryan Reynolds in another superhero movie. <laughs> yeah. Let's not give him another franchise. Because clearly he's terrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, like, I like that somebody as handsome and as conventionally attractive as Ryan, Ryan Reynolds has had to work so hard. <laughs> <laughs> he's the little engine that could. I feel, I feel like if somebody that handsome has to try that hard, I don't feel that bad about failure. That's actually one of the things when you're saying about that, the expectations that we put on like female led blockbusters and female directed blockbusters. Like, it, it's actually something that I, I've read a lot about, or I, I've, I've read a lot about that, makes me sound, but I've heard interviews about it. And like, Ava DuVernay is very famous for talking about like when she gets offered a role, as when she gets offered a, a film to direct, she never feels like it's a film to direct. She feels like it's a statement. She feels like her choosing to do it or not to do it becomes an event of itself rather than it's just like well i'm just not interested in the project and it's like if, if i don't do it then nobody else will because you know the studios can only name like three female directors or or if i if i do it and it flops and this is actually something patty jenkins said when she was doing wonder woman if she does it and it flops that is the end of a all female-led superhero movies for the foreseeable future b all female directed blockbusters for the foreseeable future and like you you look at this and you think johnny depp Johnny Depp can make all the movies that he has made. He can make Mordecai, and he can make Alice Through the Looking Glass back to back, and 
and Pirates 5. And somehow he's still the invisible man in the, what is it, the dark shared universe or whatever it is the universe yeah. is building. Which is great. I love that it's like, can we have Johnny Depp in this movie without actually having to look at Johnny Depp in this movie? Yeah, yeah there's that I, sort of expectation, I think. I suppose maybe that goes to show that while, while um, I guess while, while we can choose not to and while it shouldn't be a big deal that that this is a, a, a movie with a with a, f- a female central character with a female director um and that it, sh- it shouldn't uh ma- matter so much i suppose for the yeah what 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 you're saying there about the the the, the amount of responsibility that 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 they feel because the fail fail failure seems seems to weigh more um, upon them. Yeah. Well, I mean, I like, think of like Doug Lyman, the director, for example. Like he's he's made stuff that that hasn't made its money back, and he will always, always, always have like a Tom Cruise project in the pipeline. Yeah. And and that will never happen. Like Patty Patty Jenkins, for example, her one feature film is, is Monster, and that was made at this stage, you know, nearly a decade and a half ago. Um, and since then she's had projects drop through, and she's directed a lot of television. But she she's talked herself about how she didn't get she didn't feel that she got the opportunities that other directors in her position got. Like, so for example, like the, the new Jurassic World film is directed by the guy who did Safety Not Guaranteed, which is a bit Lindy film. Or, or stuff like the, the new Star Wars film is directed by, by Ryan Johnson, who, who directed like Brick. Um, or even Christopher oh. Nolan, when he came to the Batman films, he, his biggest credit was Memento. Like you have this movement from small budget to big budget, but it doesn't seem to apply to all directors. And it seems like, every time that you do have a woman do it becomes a statement. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, no, I mean, and this is the thing, like, it does matter. I kind of wish it didn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. But obviously it does. You can't pretend that this isn't a big deal until you have something resembling equal representation in front of the camera as well as behind the camera, you know? Yeah. yeah. Which is it's kind of why I feel like, I liked it, I actually liked Wonder Woman a lot. I liked it a lot as a conventional superhero film. I liked it as a very, like, it is very much in the style of the 1978 Superman. It's, it's a standard conventional superhero origin. Like, Patty Jenkins was at one stage going to direct Thor 2, and you can kind of see that that's, she likes that. It's a very, like, you can see the influence of Thor on it, you can see the influence of Captain America on it. Oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's, it's, it, seemed, it seemed like it, it, like, like it had taken elements of both of those movies. It, it almost seemed a little bit too familiar. I, I liked it, but I mean, I, one of the things is, though, I find it hard... Even if even if I liked it, I liked it a lot. I wouldn't. It wouldn't be like one of the best films I've seen this year. Wouldn't be one of the best films that I'll remember seeing. No. But I find my I find it hard to begrudge like the the loud reaction to it, like the fact that say it's on because we're gonna we're gonna get to this. Do we think it deserves to be on the IMDb two fifties? Um, I find it hard to begrudge the reaction to it, the enthusiasm that's received, the sort of the the loud shouting. Like there's there's articles in the Guardian about people who are seeing this and standing up in in the cinema and cheering and. Well, I, I wouldn't do that. That would I would find that odd and kind of awkward to do myself in a cinema. I can't begrudge somebody for seeing something like this and being that happy to see it, you know? You're not really a stand-up and cheer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a really pessimistic guy. Um, <laughs> Andrew has sat beside me through so many films and I haven't stood up and cheered once. When... When has that ever been a thing? <laughs> that, that's, that's it's thing. like you're watch, watching a, a, a football match or something. Yeah. And, and like just, like uh, the actors are actually impacted by what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Gal Gadot is just like, she will, she'll make it this time because I'm cheering her on. Yeah. Um, and like that, that's the thing. Is that, and I, it's something I noticed. A couple of, couple of film critics, uh, prominent film critics, have noted as well. 
it's like there's a sense of like I don't know like performativity almost to the way that that this is received like there's a tendency of people to get really emotionally invested in in this film and I can't begrudge them that I can't begrudge people being really happy that this film exists and and like loving this film and and like thinking it's amazing and it's it's one of the best films of the year and it's a film that's very important to them and I actually like even though I think the film is very good of itself I am actually glad that it's that it's had that impact I'm glad that it's it's something I don't know I guess I guess this is this is the the Darren loves everybody and has a big open heart where he's like everybody should enjoy cinema and if anybody if one person sees Transformers 2 and it warms the cockles of their hearts well then that Michael Bay gentleman can sit down and know he's done a good job um, but I, I do I find myself sort of like the reaction to it's amazing the reaction to this has been like very very loud and I find myself like even do you, if I don't do you mean amongst fans amongst fans and, and amongst like Again, this is this is because I don't think the uh, critics have been particularly hot on it, have they? It, I, I, I think there's been a lot of kind of like three stars and, and yeah, sort and of like, and no no one thinks it's um, no serious critic thinks it's terrible. Yeah, I think at the moment. Armand um, White, damn it! Yeah, yeah. Ar- Armand White is not a Armand White is yes the man Ebert described as a troll, the man <laughs> who the man who thinks Transformers Two is better than Wally. Okay. Yeah. Um, Two weird films to compare. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, they both have robots, but you know. <laughs> he also thinks White Chicks is one of the most uh, fascinating explorations of race and gender in American cinematic history. I, I listened to somebody. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I feel like Marianne's whispering that so it can't be heard on the recording. I was listening to somebody who was in a movie where on the poster it said, um, the people who who brought you white chicks. <laughs> like that he was in a movie that that, 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 that was so bad that yeah, that it had that as, as a kind of a recommendation. And there was never a movie after that that had the, the, <laughs> the name the name of that movie from the people who brought you white the movie and. who were brought to you yeah. What were we talking about? <laughs> Wonder Woman? Yeah. White <laughs> chicks. Maybe talking a little bit out yeah. Um, but yeah. <laughs> what movie did we watch? What movie did we watch? Obviously, it made quite an impression on you. So let's get down to, to this then. So, Marianne, do you think it belongs to Beyond the 250? Nah. No. Not at all. Ever. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, that's the end of my opinion. Yeah, and it, I'd, I'd, I'd agree. Um, and it's 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 it's, 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 it's going to be a very contentious. It's going to be a very contentious I mean, and heated it's, episode. It sits with some of the movies that have come in, uh, come in to to pop out. Like yeah. I, I think um, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two and John Wick uh, Volume Two. <laughs> <laughs> People are very fond of these Volume Two movies. I, um, I like how the, it makes them seem classier. Yeah. <laughs> if the tw- in a twelve room, volume, yeah. Um, yeah, it makes it sound like an encyclopedia. Yeah. Like I'm more surprised the stuff like Moonlight and Manchester by the Sea hasn't um, stuck hasn't around. stuck around. Yeah, yeah. This this feels like the kind of um, movie that's. I suppose there's a lot of initial hype, and and it's also not terrible. Um, so yeah, <laughs> so it gets into the two fifty. Andrew explaining why Alien Covenant didn't make it into the two fifty there. Well, <laughs> um, it is. Yeah, it feels like there was a time like we we do these podcasts when movies come into the two fifty, and there was a time yeah. at the start of the year where it seemed like every week, and maybe at at some stage I think twice a week, 
we were doing basically we were recording podcasts about this hot new movie that had entered the list and would promptly drop out. Yeah. Um, and and I guess be, being like um, feel, feeling uh, feeling relief when, <laughs> when movies when don't song. go in. <laughs> Where it's like, oh, thank God, nobody liked this movie. Yeah. And even like there were movies that people, by by a lot of accounts, seemed to really like a lot, like the Lego Movie that didn't come in. The Lego Batman movie. Lego, Lego movie. Batman movie. Lego yeah, movie. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I was, I was, I was astounded by some of the some of the ones that got in, some of the ones that didn't get in. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, I think uh, movies have been popping in a lot, a lot more since we started the podcast. I, <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't meant it to be like this. Yeah, yeah. We'll call it the two fifty band. Everyone but, wants to see if their movie will be on next <laughs> week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, Patty Jenkins is sitting at home listening to this very, very eagerly. Yeah. Um, uh, and it, we tend to do movies that jump off the list. <laughs> quite re- frequently. My favourite one is, yeah, we, we, do, we do movies where we record the podcast during the week. It drops out between that and the podcast <laughs> release. Uh, dating us in the space of two days. Yeah, um, yeah. Of course, we, we, you're, you're, you're listening to this in real time. Yeah. Uh, this is it's, live. It's broadcast right from our mouth to your brain. That's it. Cool. I yeah I I don't think it. Well, I don't think it's one of the top two hundred fifty movies of all time. No. Um, I, I like I like how that's that's a controversial read of this particular room. Um, I I don't mind it being on the list at this point. I suspect it won't be around for much longer. I also think that's okay. Yeah. Um, I'd like that doesn't mean it's terrible. No, that doesn't. Mean <laughs> yeah. It's not one of the top two hundred fifty movies ever made. Therefore, uh, it's yeah. terrible. When we see movies and they don't make the top two fifty, it's like they must be really bad. <laughs> <laughs> that they're not one of the two hundred fifty best movies of all time. Yeah, what's yeah. that? It's like I, I like I like the IMDb is a very very strange community of people. But it, one of the things I like about the list is that it's dynamic and it changes, and it, so you do get stuff like this. And you get st- <laughs> that's the bit I don't like. Andrew <laughs> really doesn't like. But that you that you do get stuff like occasionally this will come in and occasionally it will stick around. Inexplicably, you'll end up with I don't know um, that movie where Richard Gere has a dog will somehow be voted the one hundred forty third movie best movie of all time. Yeah, it's actually that's you know, that's an example that that is, is accurate. That that um that UFC movie with Tom Hardy. Oh, Warrior. Warrior. <laughs> yeah. I saw that it was fine, <laughs> but it's still in and it's not going anywhere. Uh, <laughs> but um, I, I like I like I like the idea of the list of the living document. I like that this sort of gets to be a blip on on that living on that living document. Yeah, but no, it's okay. With that in mind, then we might segue gently into the spoilers, and we'll talk about the movie in a bit more depth. All right, then. So join us on the other side. Spoiler zone. Alright, so guys, what was Wonder Woman about for you? Like, like, <laughs> on a profound like, first like, start, like, oh, yeah. Yeah. Or, or like the plot. <laughs> if you could lay out a summary of everything that happened. Um, no, I mean no, in a in a broader thematic level. Like I mean we can we can I think people there's, grasp the concept of Wonder Woman. There's this big war happening. Um, yeah. Andrew was sitting on the bus on the way home, Googling to make sure that the movie was historically accurate in some senses. Making Friend. sure he had the correct war. Yeah. <laughs> the war to end all wars. Yeah. Because, of course, they didn't call it World War One. Was... <laughs> that would have been really disappointing, by the way. That would have been really sort of pessimistic. It's like, what, what do we call this? World War One? Wait a minute. The funny thing was that it starts at the at the end of World War One, so like Captain Kirk's 
he knows all of the um, statistics. The statistics. He's <laughs> like twenty-five million dead. Twenty-four like, countries. Twenty-five million. Like, it's lasted for four years. <laughs> it's that's uh, all yeah. I can see it lasting for. Yeah, I, I do uh, like the idea that he did it in his trailer voice. Like, it's, yeah, it's like like you can see the original cut of the Wonder Woman trailer just being like in a world where twenty-four countries are at war, twenty-five million people are dead. <laughs> Data collection. Yeah. <laughs> they are very, very good. Oh, I got one. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to shoot million. another German. I have yeah. to do the paperwork. Yeah. Yeah. Twenty-five million and one. All right, Ted. Um, um, yeah, no, but I think it was. It's quite a timely movie, theme-wise, because it is about how the world is always more complicated than just punching bad guys. Yeah. yeah. Which like, is one I liked about it, actually. I liked, like, it is a conventional superhero movie in many ways, but I liked that idea about it. It's strange to have it at World War One, Rather than Gen- World War II. Yeah, because it's it's weird having Germans as the baddies in oh, a movie when, when, it's, when they're not Nazis. Uh, um, because, actually, yeah, because it, it, it sets up... And, and, and that's, I guess, the payoff at the end of the movie. <laughs> when you discover that, like, yeah... These Germans can't be the baddies because they're not Nazis. Yeah. You but need someone in an English accent. Yeah. Like, because we're so used to Nazis. Proper enunciation, yeah. 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 Well, actually, I, I quite liked the World War One setting for a number of reasons. Like, I liked... Well, first of all, I think it was... Should, very... should, should have known that the English characters were truly... <laughs> Deep inside it <laughs> all. But I, I liked... Well, okay, well, obviously, I suspect it was a pragmatic decision to differentiate it from Captain America, the first Avenger. Yeah. Sure. Like, yeah, and Wonder Woman's beat is World War One, like in the comics. That's you know, Steve Trevor. That like you know, that's all established. So I guess they could have put her in Nazi Germany, but also like, <laughs> but we also like now live in a world where Nazis are an actual thing. We kind of have to deal with again. So maybe everyone was just like, no, some escapism. Like, but I mean, it's, it's for people who think that punching the Nazi in the face is. Is going to, yeah that that is going to solve the the all of the problems. Well, if you punch all the Nazis in all their faces, <laughs> um, seems to be the solution that Wonder Woman is proposing. I I found it strange that like this so this movie the idea um that Wonder Woman has and um, that draws her from her kind of island paradise uh, island paradise into into the world of men. Is to uh, defeat Ares, who's who's the cause of war, and presumably they've been living in this island paradise, oblivious to all of the wars <laughs> that have happened since. Yeah. and they think like this is the first time there's been a war, and thankfully it's the last because, because they that's the it thing. The yeah, they, they 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 have to defeat Ares, um. So she goes. She thinks that it's um Ludendorff, yeah. Um, but it's not. Um, and discovers at the end of the movie that that's, that that is actually David Thewlis, um, <laughs> which is amazing. Yeah, but she that's... discovers it's the only character it logically could have been. <laughs> yeah. it turned out not, not to be. I was thinking, that was exactly it. I was thinking, wouldn't it be great if this guy David Thewlis isn't the baddie at the end? That would be a twist. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I was I was on board with I liked the twist. I actually liked the if only because the, the Ludendorff thing felt like it was reasonably well played and the twist felt logical rather than throwing it like the fact that you could predict it was David Lewis was a sign that it was not a crazy out of nowhere sort of no. insane twist. The thing though, like when 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 she's defeated Ares, 
all the Germans kind of like take off their caps and, and start, start hugging, hugging yeah. and, and they're like, oh, there's no war ever now. <laughs> that, that's Spoiler, good. yeah. I guess that is the, like, there was kind of the sort of logical inconsistency at the center of this movie is that they do a lot of like Captain Kirk being like, like, it's more complicated than that, Diana. <laughs> Sometimes humans are just evil, and then she kills Ares, and it's like, oh no, it actually is. Right. It's, it's grand now. Like, yeah. So. I know, I, I actually I quite like, I like, I like that. Like, one of the things about it is we talk about how it's a very standard conventional superhero movie in terms of its plotting. So you have yeah. you have the prologue at the start, which is structured very much like, say, the, the, the Krypton sequences from obviously from Superman to Man of Steel, etc. But um, and then you obviously you have the, the she goes out into the world she's destined to fight this this villain she has a, a weapon the God Killer which is we're told or which we're implied is to be a sword which is like your standard superhero sort of element it's like a kryptonite for killing Superman it's like your world engine in Man of Steel it's like yeah. your plot element that's going to come back and be important in a big way and one of the things I like about Wonder Woman is the fact that it doesn't the fact that the sword is completely useless the fact that she sets up what if she's a hero who doesn't what if I never use a sword and then at the end. Turns out the sword that she took is completely useless and irrelevant. I liked that aspect of it. No? That wasn't a twist. Was that really a twist? Like, five minutes in, where her aunt is like, she must never know what she really is. I was like, oh, she's the god killer. Okay. Like, you know, that's... Yeah. I was thinking she was going to be Ares. Uh, <laughs> uh, daughter, and that, and that it would, it, and that at the end he would be like, "I am your father." <laughs> I think they did that in a, in another film. To be honest, I think that may be a slightly borrowed. Well, it would be a good twist if she is if she was just Aries <laughs> like, all along. Yeah. It's like, have you seen um, adaptation? No. Okay, well, there's, there's a movie in it um, in which it, it's fantastic. It's it's about uh, Charlie Kaufman adapting uh, the Orpheus. And it invents his fictional brother who writes blockbusters. And they're terrible blockbusters, but they're really successful blockbusters. And one of the ones he pitches is called The Three. And see if you can guess the twist here. It's about a detective who's trying to track down a kidnapped victim who's being held hostage by a psychopath. What is the twist in this? They're all the same person. So I'm now sort of imagining a version of Wonder Woman where Gal Gadot is simultaneously Gal Gadot and David Tallulah. Like the role is just her with a mustache. Might have to get an accent coach. So she's she's um, the kind of Savile Row Magneto, where he's kind of like where he's floating up like in his suit with the long jacket and yeah. It's amazing they didn't keep the bowler hat on him for that sequence. I'm really disappointed. Um, Yeah, or the umbrella in his hand. Um, His armor was awful. It It was was. a disaster. But it was it was it was so surreal like seeing <laughs> this big hulking armored form when the helmet gets knocked off and it's just David to Lewis's head on it but even when he was just flying around it was like did this armor you just made for yourself not fit you properly <laughs> <laughs> somebody's overcompensating um, but I, I and I love the the proper enunciation like even as they're doing the big throwdown in the high volume win. I hope you'll accept my offer. <laughs> Join us. Yes. <laughs> I've been practicing this monologue for years. Yeah. There was also just like no kind of like, it was just like, why have you just been hanging out in England, like weirdly advocating for peace? Like was the, you know, what was yeah. the long game here? Uh, it kind of annoyed me that they never went into that. I don't know. I thought the the long game was though that he was basically irrelevant. That basically his his imp- 
his impact on, on mankind's desire for war was minimal. Like, one of the things that sort of strikes me about the DC movies in general, and this is really weird to say, but they're, they're really cynical about mankind in general. Like, most superhero mm. movies tend to end on the note that people are worth saving. Like, even the Christopher Nolan movies, which are people generally regard as cynical, typically have twists on them where ordinary people who seem to be terrible are actually decent. So, like, the prisoner boat at the end of The Dark Knight, or, you know, Selena Kyle coming back at the end of The Dark Knight Rises. Whereas, like, the DC movies, like, say, Batman versus Superman, uh, where, like, Superman saves the planet, and the planet's like, screw you, Superman! Or, uh... Oh, when, yeah! Or Wonder Woman, where, uh, where Ares is like, they don't deserve your help! And she's like, yeah, you kind of have a point there. Yeah, she like, was told that from the beginning. Yeah, <laughs> and the, the movie's big moral is, like, good yeah... Good guys and the bad guys. <laughs> yeah, and the movie's kind of like, yeah, that, that, is, that is really how it is. And it, she... Uh, takes as her one example no there there is love because Captain Kirk um, sacrificed his life to to save other human beings I, my reading of that scene was that he was kind of drunk <laughs> <laughs> he, 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 he arrives in the cockpit and he's like laughing to himself yeah. and all and the, he all keeps that... kind of looking back at the poison to be like, okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what am I doing? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Why, why am I in a plane? Yeah. All the champagne at that German cocktail reception. Yeah. Um, that was the weirdest segue. Well, I mean, that was obviously an excuse just to have like Gal Gadot in, in the blue dress down for a while. Because I was like, why did you guys come in here? Like, <laughs> I like the Indiana Jonesness of it. Like the bit where where Chris Pine infiltrates like a top secret meeting of the German High Command by speaking English with a German accent. Sure, um, yeah. like, like there's something very Indiana Jones about that, or the, with the with the fake driver um, and the costume and the sort of snooty stuff, which is, feels like something from like, Last Crusade, where he does something similar. Or even like I like like one of the things I really liked about the Chris Pine Steve Steve Trevor character is the fact that he's very clearly like the love interest character. The point where when he's trying to seduce Doctor Maru, or he's trying to get information from Doctor Maru. He uses like his masculine wiles. Was he's Dr. Like, Maru in the uh, Wonder Woman comic? Dr. Poison. Dr. Poison. Yeah. Would they just make her sound like Dr. Moreau? <laughs> the island uh-huh. of. Uh, yeah, there are quite a few. There are quite a few comic book characters who may have been cribbed from other other media. To be honest. Okay. Um, yeah, like obviously the Joker's influenced by the Man Who Laughs, for example, is is one of the most obvious examples. Ah. Um, like you can see that in, in the design of the face and stuff like that. Yeah, comic books, comic book creators where you were churning out content uh, on a monthly basis for a very low salary. Who would have thought that occasionally you might borrow from uh, from pop culture? But um, I actually I love that when he's in there trying to get information. Like he's, it's one of the rare cases where I've seen a male character in a movie like this actually go, well, yeah, I'm actually kind of attractive. Mm. I think I can use this. Yeah, no, I enjoyed that scene, but just when they left, I was like, why were you here? <laughs> <laughs> like, like, um, what was your end game here? Yeah. What was the plan? He was infiltrating... The plan was to find order. the poison and destroy it. So he was going to seduce her. Yeah. Hope that she'd take him back to the poison lab for some sexy makeout time. Yeah. Where he would presume... I don't know what he would do, but the end game is destroy the poison. Yeah. yeah. But, right. but the poison was elsewhere. Like, it was it turned in that out, yeah. complex... Well, they, that we, they go to in the end. Yeah, they didn't know that, though, because yeah. they, they didn't know where Ludendorff was. Who, by the way, is a person who really existed. Yeah. There was a real General Ludendorff. Um, How does his family feel about this? <laughs> um, 
<laughs> I like I liked his um, a speed that he kept on taking. But I also I love I love the uh, I love the sense that like he and and Doctor Poison are really just in it for the evil lulls. Yeah. Like there's the great scene where they, they poison the entirety of German High Command for reasons. Um, in which they, they throw the gas into the room. Do and they then kill Hindenburg? They kill Hindenburg. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, they kill Hindenburg. But they throw in a gas mask for kicks. And, like, it, it's it's a stock supervillain beat, but I love that Danny Houston, who's, who's playing Ludendorff, is like, maybe having the time of his life. He's like, but the mask won't work. Like, but they don't know that. And he's like, quiet. He's like, finger to the lips, like, shh, you'll ruin the fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. Giggling like a schoolgirl. I would hope that I would do that. If, if, if you were a supervillain. Yeah, if given the opportunity. <laughs> if I had to, some fun with it. If I had to poison a room yeah. full of people. The amount of people who, 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 whose days are, are terribly repetitive and involve no kind of Poisoning. Creative, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the being a supervillain really kind of affords you the Brings it opportunity to express yourself. Actually, I don't feel too bad about the portrayal of Ludendorff in this movie, given that he is the man responsible for the stab in the Bachman. Like he's one of the founding fathers of fascism. After the second, he survived the First World War. Yeah. And after the First World War, his argument was basically that Germany had been betrayed by the the aristocrats back home, the upper class back home. Right. Which is part of what fueled the rise of Nazism. So I ah. kind of don't feel too bad about Wonder Woman sort of impaling uh, Ludendorff through the uh, through the chest. I feel worse that he didn't have a beard. Well, free, feeling let My down history nerd. by by the aristocrats, I, 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 I think could could have gone in a couple of directions. Yeah, it's a terrible movie. Um, <laughs> and an awful bad taste joke. I, I, I wanted to see that with my family. <laughs> but, that was a bad choice. Yeah, interesting choice anyway. Yeah. Like that time I watched was at uh, American Pie with my parents. Oh that yeah, was a fun evening. No, I I think I saw that with my dad. Um, yeah, did and and my brother. That was that was that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing awkward at all. And just in terms of of the Wonder Woman thing, actually, one of the things one of the things that's interesting about Wonder Woman is that she hasn't had the ubiquity that say Batman and Superman have had, like as a character. Right. So like she's been around. She's one of the three superheroes who's been around since the nineteen forties. She was invented by uh, Marston, the guy who invented the lie detector. Famously, that's why her her lasso tells the truth. That's basically. Ah. Um, he was also uh, in his personal life um, quite uh, kinky. He was involved in, in an open relationship with with uh, two women at the time, and that was why his model of Wonder Woman was a model of loving submission. Apparently, according to Marston, he was building, and I quote, psychological propaganda for. The kind of women that he wanted to rule the world, uh, which is which is interesting. But after he sort of he passed away in 1947, and it feels like Wonder Woman has kind of she's never had like the influence on pop culture. Like everybody knows Wonder Woman, everybody recognizes Wonder Woman. Yeah. Like, um, but she's never had the impact that say Batman or Superman or as as we said, like Spider Man, who is being rebooted as we speak. Um, yeah. By the time this podcast ended, uh, will have been recast as a five year old British actor. <laughs> Toby McGuire's son. <laughs> yeah. So it is strange to see like Wonder Woman brought to screen, and it feels weird that it took as long as it did. Because the only the big example I can think of is Linda Carter from the seventies. Yeah. But outside of that, it just seems like there's been nothing. Sure, and I mean, like the thing is, like obviously everyone knows what Wonder Woman looks like, but you don't know what her deal is. You know what Superman's deal is. 
you know what Batman's deal is. Like, you're like, he doesn't kill people, he's sad about his parents. <laughs> he's, like he's, he's really emo. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, Superman is, like, your classic, like, white, white-bred good guy. Like, you, you know what mm. motivates them or whatever. Whereas, like, this movie had a big task in front of it in just that it had, like, you know, it's been over 40 years yeah. since someone has been like, this is Wonder Woman's deal. Yeah. And you have to establish that. Yeah. Um, mm. Which I think they did a pretty good job with. I mean, I think they did a nice kind of, like, I think it was a very good blend of, like, kind of naive dignity. You know, she's a fish out of water, but she doesn't back down at any point and yeah. go, oh, I feel awkward about it. She's just kind of like, I know what I have to do. Peace, justice, no yeah. more killing. Well, that, that's it. I, I actually really like the fact, one of the details I really like about the origin story here, and it's a very conventional origin story, but it's the fact that, like, Wonder Woman is not defined by tragedy. Like, Batman had his world destroyed when his parents were killed. Superman had his world literally destroyed when his planet exploded. And they both sort of ended up where they were through exile rather than through choice. And they're, like, you can make an argument that both are in some way defined by trauma. Yeah. Whereas I like that Wonder Woman as a character, like, one of the things the film That's is that a, yeah. she specifically chooses to help. Like, she is in paradise. She lives in this perfect world. Um, she's practically immortal, it seems. Um, she's got everything she could ever need, everything she could ever want. And she chooses to go out into this, this world that's, that's chaotic and turbulent in order to do the right thing. And I actually, I really, really like that aspect of it. And I like that the movie set up these ideas in order to subvert them and play with them. So I like the idea that, like, um, Antiphony, the, the one played by, by Robin Wright. Right. Um, she's killed at one point, and you're like, okay, well, maybe that's a traumatic motivation that could be used to, to justify violence later on or anger later on or whatever. But it, it turns out, no, it's just she, she, she died and, and that happened, but that's not Wonder Woman's motivation for doing what she's doing. There's yeah. never a sense that she goes back and she thinks about it or she feels angry about it or betrayed by it. There's a sense that, like, nope, that's, that happened, she's over it, and she goes out and she does it. And there's this thing again where, and you mentioned this, this uh, earlier, Marianne, where, like, there's this repeated theme of, like, Wonder Woman believes that she can kill Ares and end the war in this sort of, like, video game end condition sort of rule, in this sort of, like, you know, Superman blows up the world engine, Batman stops the nuclear bomb at the end of, of The Dark Knight Rises or whatever. But, like, that. that Steve Trevor repeatedly points out, no, that's not actually how, how, how it works. That's not how the world works. But I like that there's this suggestion in the movie, and it, you're right in that the ending isn't... I don't think the ending fulfills it as well as it could. I don't think the theme is delivered upon in that closing moment where she actually kills Ares and everybody hugs. Um, but I do like the idea that Wonder Woman suggests that what you believe that that there is this like, there is this objective truth and there's objective reality and there's this like the the fact that the world is complicated and that people are generally terrible apparently uh but that that basically the world is not everything you want it to be and there's no way to make it perfect but one woman sort of seems to suggest that that doesn't mean that you shouldn't believe that the world can be better or the world can be good like there's a point where when they're going to the woods and they're talking about whether or not they believe her and, and the, the chief basically says, well, you know, I think it's true. I believe it. And, and uh, you know, the, the actor goes, uh, you know, voila. As if to say, well, if you believe it, then then it's true. The power of believing yeah. makes it true. It's the kind of, the kind of power of <laughs> cognitive dissonance. Or ha have, 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 having these kind of noble lives. 
Um, yeah. Like love or justice or <laughs> peace or Andrew, Andrew in this version is played by a human from the Zack Snyder <laughs> cinematic universe. Yeah, uh-huh. no, but 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 I I'm I'm this is me not being cynical about about those things. I think it's important that, <laughs> that we believe that, these lies. That we believe, yeah, and 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 that we act in 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 good faith as if they were real things. <laughs> That our belief in them makes them real. Would you go that yeah, far? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, as in that they're they're a um, ideal object. Yeah. And I, I and I like that like Wonder Woman as a standard conventional superhero maybe seems to understand that like Wonder Woman exists as a as a superhero as a, as one of those ideals. Like the idea that like and it's something about the superhero genre in general is that like the superhero genre anthropomorphizes these concepts in the same way that I don't know myths do, for example. Like this is yeah. the, the the pseudo intellectual fanboy nonsense crap. Yeah. I'm here for this. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the idea that you know that that Ares personifies war or whatever, and the fact that if that even if that isn't literally true, even if you can't defeat Nazism by punching Hitler or Richard Spencer in the face, that that doesn't mean that imagining that or picturing that or telling the story where that's true, like doesn't matter. Like one of the big controversies about the film is the revelation that Wonder Woman is not made out of clay. Like, so she's told at the start that she's made out of clay uh, by her mother and that she was fashioned out of love. And then at the climax, it's revealed that actually she's Zeus's daughter. And this is a bone of contention. Is she not still made out of clay? Sorry, but is... Oh, yes. No. Yeah, no, I remember this from the comics. But... Yeah. Uh, but um, this is the, the Brian Azzarello <laughs> yeah, version, yeah, yeah, which yeah. caused a lot of controversy. Um, yeah, but I was just kind of like, but Zeus has many ways of birthing <laughs> children. Like, it's not always a conventional kind of situation. Yeah. Yeah. But yes. Like, as you're leaving the room and you say, oh, another thing, uh, you're pregnant. Uh, yeah, boom. Um, I <laughs> yeah. made you this. You're a mother. Congratulations. Yeah. I did this in my sculpting class. Um, but I, I do like the idea that, like, one of the big objections is that obviously that, that removed a lot of Diana's agency, the idea that, like, she's a woman who exists without needing to depend on a male character. Um, and that it sort of, in some way, removes the idea of her as a, as a feminist ideal. But, like, I think the ending of the movie seems to suggest... <laughs> Sorry, Marianne is laughing I here. Think, I don't think men are sometimes necessary. <laughs> necessarily undermines a woman, like, as an ideal feminism. I, I'm, not, I'm not agreeing with this I point. I feel like I feel like, like, like you had a father. How dare you? Therefore, <laughs> you are not a pure example of womanhood. Yeah. Your existence depends on the existence of men. No, yeah. I, I think it's a ridiculous argument. Well, I think the most inspiring women are, are the women who just arrived out of nowhere. <laughs> who fashioned from yeah. clay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but do still have to come and breathe life into the clay. But, <laughs> but I, I, again, and I feel the need to stress that I, I, I'm not arguing this point, that the reason Wonder Woman isn't a feminist icon is because she's a father. Jesus, how misogynistic <laughs> is that? Um, no, I'm, I'm more of, like, I think one of the things the film does very well is it suggests that it doesn't really matter. Like, it doesn't really matter whether she was born of clay or whether she was a, a child of Zeus. What matters is what she chooses to believe and what you choose to believe about her. Like, so if you believe that Wonder Woman is a feminist icon, then boom, she's a feminist icon. If you believe she's important to you, then boom, she's important. If you believe she's important, she's important. Like, she, and, and this is the thing, like, I actually quite like that the, the DC universe has built this idea of superheroes as gods. And I mean, you you pointed out the really, like, the the blundering behemoth that was Batman and Superman. But one of the things I actually quite liked about it was the fact that it tried. I feel like I should put tried in in italics, in verbal Mm -hmm. italics there. 
but that it tried to engage with the idea of like religion in, in a genuine sense and this idea of like gods and monsters and like this idea of, of like a, a supernatural mythical construct and, and conflict and stuff like that that represented something primal about the human condition. Uh, as monologued by Jesse Eisenberg. Uh, but I think that Wonder Woman does that a lot better, but it captures the sense that like Wonder Woman is an actual literal god in the sense that she's not like... One of the things I hate about Thor was the idea that they're sufficiently advanced aliens because you don't want to upset the uh, the Christians who go to see these movies. I like the idea that like this is a story almost about stories and that it's quite candid about it and quite explicit. Yeah, I mean, I think the DC Universe specifically, I mean, Superman and Wonder Woman are like the two most powerful superheroes like they are ridiculously overpowered and i really liked and i actually really liked that the movie showed that it was like once diana gets going <laughs> just like sit down like you're not you're not gonna win There's this. the point where she demolishes a church yeah, <laughs> you know I, I just want one of the one of the guys to be but that that's been there for 400 years yeah i think that's what they were saying in french <laughs> <laughs> what have you done <laughs> Give them cigarettes and horses. Maybe they'll go away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I liked that. Like, I really, I just really enjoy watching ridiculously overpowered, yeah. like, heroes go into battle. Like, that is viscerally enjoyable. And I liked that they gave her that space. You know? I, I I really liked the, the most, like, this is the thing that, like, Snyder, like, you, the, the DC Universe is, is pretty much Max Snyder's baby, for better mm-hmm. and for worse. Um, and I think people will have varying degrees of opinion about how that, that particular scale goes. But like even in, in Wonder Woman, in the way that Wonder Woman is shot, where you, you have those sequences where she's lunging towards the camera and it's slowed down and then it's cranked up. So it's almost like you cover the same amount of violence in the same amount of time, but just at different paces. I, I liked her kicking that um, German guy through the through the wall. I liked that as as an, as an image where he was like burst through the wall. Oh, through the window as well. Yeah, with the with the shield oh, and he it, falls down. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he falls down. But even yeah, the bit where she has her own little warehouse fight sequence and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, that was fun. And I I actually I I really really liked that sort of like, and it feels horrible to say it because it sounds really superficial. But I like the sort of action hero quality of it. And I liked it. With Superman as well, to a certain extent, where you have this sort of like, and this is maybe not the best comparison to make, but you have this sort of almost Reifenstahl-esque approach um, with, say, with the way that Snyder shoots Superman, where there's a sense that he is actually literally an Ubermunch. And I like that, that Wonder Woman got the same treatment in terms of style. Like, there's a sense that she exists at a level beyond beyond any other character in this movie. Where the point where even when Ludendorff is on his little, uh, how would you describe it? His, uh, his speed? Oh, yeah. His, his yeah. angel dust. Yeah. When Germans take angel his, dust. His speed coke. That <laughs> yeah. even when he's right. on it, he's, a, he's not a real match at all for her. No. Um, to the point where, like, she, she whips him around um, like a kite at one point. Um, but oh, I, uh, I, li- I like the thought of Tulis arriving and saying, you see, I was there he's all along. You didn't kill that other guy, did you? <laughs> <laughs> really yeah. <laughs> I, I like. I, I actually really. I think you guys liked it as well because you both laughed at the same time. The quick cut where there's a moment where she confronts uh, Thulis in the in the thing. She I reaches was behind the her whole to get time. The, where is her sword? Yeah, she reaches behind her to get the sword, and it cuts away to Steve Travers, uh, Trevor having an 
they're incredibly important plot colors. <laughs> and then he cuts back to Wonder Woman hopping off the roof with the sword. Landing. Yeah. And he's like, like yeah. you're missing the sequence where she had to put her foot on Ludendorff <laughs> to kind of lodge that thing out. Yeah. Stay here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm really disappointed there wasn't, there wasn't a point in the conversation really? where the body just drops off. Like where, where if... so Lewis is giving this big conversation about how important it is. <laughs> his body just rolls off the roof. Yeah. Um, there were many better ways to handle that, including I think... her just having her sword. You know, <laughs> maybe it's like the, the he he let her go take the time to get the sword because he was really looking forward to her finding out yeah, that it sure. didn't work. Yeah. The sword doesn't do anything. Yeah, I feel really disappointed that there wasn't like a shot of while this was happening. Thula sitting there checking his watch patiently. <laughs> Listening to the sounds of her trying to pull the sword out. Oh, the, that reminds me. I thought there were loads of anachronisms in this in this movie. I was thinking, they didn't have ice cream. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, they, you do realize this was only a hundred years ago, right? <laughs> I was, uh, like first, 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 I was thinking they probably didn't have ice cream on the street. It's um, and, and it's there, there, there are recipes for it. Is that like I I you suppose, have to go to special ice cream factory? I don't know. Like like families took trips. country homes <laughs> where it's like I have something special for you. It's called ice cream. Uh, but no, like I I think there was rationing during World War Two where there was no ice cream pretty much. <laughs> Uh, I like that this is the big but, takeaway from this, by the way. The other thing was wristwatches. Because <laughs> having, seen, having seen Pulp Fiction... Uh, you assumed like, they were all pocket watches. So, before World War II, before World War I, people used to just carry around watches. They didn't... He had the first... He had the first no, that's not true either. <laughs> it, 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 Tarantino was lying. They... they Keep in mind that the watch had come from the generation before. Exactly, it came from the generation before, which I, which made me think, oh, this is an anachronism. It's not. I I um I, I looked it up. They've been making them since like eighteen sixty eight. I think Patek Philip was the was the first person. And it was all this stuff that I thought was anachronistic. The only thing that I held on to was. I believe the Germans' helmets were wrong. In, <laughs> in that in, they didn't have that, points on them. In that, in that scene in Veld, they had like World War II style helmets. You and feel like they should have had pointy helmets. Well, they did have them later on. <laughs> those are dress helmets. Those are proper. <laughs> yeah. You have to shine those. Um, yeah. there were, I think there was, there, was, there was other stuff as well that I was incredibly wrong about. For, 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 for a second, I thought... Wasn't women's had women's suffrage not already been? It hadn't. Not in Britain. I think it it it, it had been granted in like New Zealand or something. It was yeah. getting there. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was still in in process, which I actually think maybe was one of the reasons and a nice sort of way of introducing like World War One. Like I think that yeah. World War One worked for a number of reasons. Like I think it it worked for being the first conflict on that scale, uh, and I think it's also like I think if you use World War Two in a movie. World War Two has a more mythic place in the cultural memory, I think, than World War One. Like so, and particularly if you're making a film for American audiences, like one of the things that's interesting about Wonder Woman is how it completely sidelines the Americans apart from Steve Trevor. But one of the things that doing that allows it to do is the fact that you can have the sequence where Wonder Woman goes into Allied command and basically says, "You are all terrible, terrible people." When when you know he's like, "Millions will die." He's like, "They're soldiers. That's what they do." Um, and I feel like. You can't have that narrative, that like 
criticizing war as a concept narrative in a story about World War II, because World War II in popular culture has become this mythic battle between good and evil, between democracy and fascism. Like World War yeah. II is the good war, the justifiable war. It's the greatest generation war. So you can have, like, it's the war that we fought for, well, we fought, I say, as an Irishman who was neutral during the conflict. Who wasn't born, but whose nation was neutral. But that, that America and, and Britain fought. Not a Nazi, but a sympathizer. <laughs> <laughs> fought to protect the world. And that it's like, with the images, the, the myth of that, the fact, you know, people believe that they, they fought the war to liberate concentration camps, which is not true at all. Uh, but which lends the, the war moral weight and makes it justifiable in yeah. a way that, that World War One isn't. Like, World War One was just a charnel house. It was, a, it was brutal and horrific. And you can do that story in, in Wonder Woman. You can do that. World War One is how boring it is. So <laughs> just have a whole... How slowly they move, yeah. yeah. So uh, break that problem by... By, by introducing by, a superhero. And uh, simultaneously winning World War One. Yeah. There, there were lots of... There were lots of uh, times during the movie where World World War One was won or lost, it was like there was the armistice. It was crossing no man's land and and uh, taking uh, yeah yeah and and then there was the giant giant bomb yeah which is like mustard gas but a little bit better. <laughs> but this but, is flammable. Yeah, <laughs> but this this is the thing. This is apparently. Like scientists, science, science, I love that. I love when scientists weigh in on movies because it's like on the one hand, like they're smiling because they're on camera and they're like, "I'm being asked for a puff piece," so I can't seem like I'm too joyless. So I have to say I enjoyed the movie. But on the other hand, here's a list of stuff I was thinking about during the movie. So I was thinking about this too. But that, that that it didn't make sense. Yeah. Well, apparently, like. Scientists like, and I, I like this is like, this is your compliment sandwich, like the interviewing scientists. We like that it depicted the war as the chemist war, because apparently that's, that's one of the things it's known as. Right. Incidentally, it was first called the First World War in 1919. Um, that was when people decided to label it as the First World War. Oh. Just out of curiosity. They already... They had already decided... Oh, yeah, there's another one coming on. <laughs> so, like, um, <laughs> let me tell you, the sequel is going to be even bigger. Um, the thing is with mustard gas, right? With what they found was they used chlorine first, and that killed thousands of soldiers, where the yeah. wind would just carry it across into the trenches. But with mustard gas, uh, what happens is it goes up and it sort of gets into the clouds even. So when it rains, you get this compound that, that bleeds into the clothes and fabric. Like So you have people who have no idea, even for days after they've, they've been rained on as a result of these, these attacks and these shells that were shot up and blown up and, and to cause precipitation and stuff. And then days later, they, they come down in wealth and they're binded and it's, it's really horrific. Like there's a sense that the, the gas masks that, they, that Ludendorff and, and Dr. Maru seem so obsessed about, like they really weren't that effective against mustard gas as a concept. It's, yeah. it's not like, yeah, it's not like you needed to crack those. It was more like, to be honest, you probably needed, I like, I like the fact that I'm offering advice to German high command at the end of First World War. If you're going to do this, do this properly. But they, the, the issue is distribution more than like effectiveness. And there's a sense that like apparently science, this is, now we're reaching the meat part of the compliment sandwich, uh, where the scientists are like, well, thing is, you can't just substitute hydrogen into mustard gas and expect it to be more effective. It's like, I feel like the, the, uh, the guy's like, I feel like the reason this happened was because they decided they wanted a big explosion. Yeah. yeah. And they thought, what's there explosive? Was, hydrogen. There was a point in it, yeah, where it's like, oh, <coughs> is it flammable? Well, hydrogen <laughs> is one of the elements in it. Everything with hydrogen as an element is flammable. <laughs> yeah. 
Like, <laughs> like oh, water. Careful of that water <laughs> yeah. in that big red barrel. <laughs> Hydrogen dioxide. Um, Even I, with my B plus in leaving certain <laughs> chemistry, was like, uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> To be fair, it isn't as if they were like crack science commandos. There's a sense that these are all horribly broken people. I like the idea that the That's... smuggler was the one with the science degree. Yeah, as well. Yeah. Like, also, his performance was weird. His performance <laughs> was a little weird. He was phoning it in. Just... Yeah, but he was the one who was like, hi, prison guy. <laughs> <laughs> if you knew the things that I know. Um, yeah, that's why I think Marvel... Ha- when ha- I had to smuggle <laughs> hydrogen across German lines, um, I learned some very important things. May, 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 making them just occultists who, who don't have to rely on the science <laughs> be, w- w- working out if they're like, oh, we found these ancient spells. Yeah. Then no one in the audience is going to be like, hold on, that's not how ancient spells work. I got a B plus in, in advanced theology. I think I know how Wiccan spells work. The, ga- the gas, the whole conceit of the gas was pretty <coughs> ropey, basically. Um, yeah. um, what about the what about the commander? What about the um, the, oh, the, the Steve World, Trevor's World basic... War One village people? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> man. What did I think of that? Yes. <laughs> Yes, what did he think of, quote, the World War One village people? Was this something from the comic books or no, what? No, no, I get the sense it was, <laughs> I get the sense this is something that was carried over from, um, from, like, Captain America. Yeah, and I think it was, I think, like, their sort of thematic purpose yeah. was, like, look at this shower of, you know, awful people. Broken people, yeah. Yeah, but also, like, you know, look, Wonder Woman. These guys aren't fantastic in terms of their pasts or, you know, how they're treating you or whatever. But they're still, like, you get to know them and they're worth fighting for. But we didn't actually spend enough time with them to care about them, so that fell a bit flat. I was thinking, yeah, here's some people that I I care about just enough (laughs) to, to, to be kind of okay with them all dying <laughs> in order to make kind of a dramatic point yeah. it's like oh oh, go- oh gosh they're all dead <laughs> and, I, and i like the way that you say that as if like in order for the movie to get that that emotional point they'd have to kill all three yeah. Yeah. Like, like, if they kill one and would be like ah they're still mostly a yeah i was one. surprised they all survived yeah incredibly surprised i was surprised that they were brought <laughs> <laughs> if you're gonna take a character from Train Spotting to World One. Bring Begbie. <laughs> yeah, right. That's fun. Yeah. Also, like the whole thing with Spud's character was they have this moment where it's like he doesn't shoot anymore, I, and it's never addressed again. I like. I like that. I like it. <laughs> I he's coming nice because he's good at shooting. Yeah. Because he doesn't he's, shoot, he's not but that's shoot okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I like the um, I like the idea, of, and I think this played into the the thing with the God Killer, where you had the big sword that was supposed to kill Ares and didn't. And the sense that you have like this supposed to kill Ares and end the war and, and doesn't. You have this story that's not true about him. And you have the fact that like he's set up as this. So you imagine there's going to be a sequence where like and there's the moment in, in the big battle for Bell where he takes the, the, the rifle out and he points it towards the sniper. And you're like, yes, he's going to get that do, do that one special skill thing. It's like, you know, 
in, 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 the, in a fight scene where the guy who's been playing with a knife all movie, you know, all of a sudden just throws a knife and lands it in somebody's eye. You're like, this is his one moment. This is the one thing where he's been carefully set Do up it. and established. Do it, Scotty. Yeah. <laughs> I can't. Yeah. That's it. it's, it's like the Scotty works the transporter moment in Star Trek. It's like, yeah. at one point in every movie, there's a moment where only Scotty can work the transporter. Where you're like, there's going to be one moment where they need a sharpshooter, and it's going to turn out, it's going to be him. Except that never happens. And I, I kind of like that it never happens. I like the fact that, that the film is like, yeah, okay, we're going we're gonna to set this up. His thing is going to be that he's good at shooting people. Uh, but he's not going to shoot anybody because, you know. Yeah, I would have been fine with that if Lee had known him better or, <laughs> you know, it had ever been addressed again apart from Diana being like, but you can sing to us. And he's like, Deadly. That's his arc. That's his character arc there. Um, he, he does, he's he does, standing he... in for a pair of binoculars. Because <laughs> yeah, instead like, of like... using his scope for killing people, <laughs> yeah, he's he... just kind of looking at them. I actually really like that about like the third actor, that he spends the entire... Like, he could just use a pair of binoculars, but it's like, no, I brought the sniper rifle. I'm not going to be shooting anybody. I might as well commit to the short. I don't have a sense of death. You even have the lines where he's like, I ran out of bullets. And it's like, you never had any bullets. Let's be honest. Because yeah. Yeah. they never even have a moment where they're like, maybe you could try shooting someone now under yeah. different circumstances. <laughs> I, but I feel, I, feel like, I feel like that's not an unreasonable part. Because I feel like if you, if you do that, if you have him like, if you have him confront his post-traumatic stress disorder... And your conclusion to that is, okay, now you can kill people. I feel like sure. that is maybe not the best way to conclude that character arc. Sure. But, like, I, even I, if we had addressed his post-traumatic <laughs> stress disorder in at all. any way, shape, or form. <laughs> um, but I, I like the idea that, yeah, that World War One sort of took these people who, under other circumstances, would be not doing this at all and sort of just turned them into a really terrible bunch of soldiers. Um like, I feel like that's a pretty good summation of World War One in general. It, it, did, it did feel a lot like Captain America kind of troop of... Yeah, the Howling yeah. Commandos with yeah. like Neil McDonough and stuff like that. And I also, I like the idea that, I like, and I feel like this is going to sound terrible because it's going to sound like it's going to sound terrible, but I like the diversity of the bunch. Like, I like the idea that they were people who were outcasts in general and spud for some reason. But that it, it's like, you know, I want to be an actor, but my, I'm the wrong colour. Or, you know, the, the Native American, the chief. Uh, because, of course, he's called the chief. Um, but he's talking about how, like, his land was taken by, by you know, the Americans. Uh, uh, where, where, where is Samir from? It's left somewhat ambiguous, but he wears yeah, a fez. He wears a fez. <laughs> he wears a fez. So presumably in, in, in North Africa, where he's, wherever he's from, there's all of these Robert Redford-style <laughs> actors <laughs> stealing all of his roles. And <laughs> that didn't make so much sense to me. But to be fair... Maybe like, he was raised in France. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah. yeah, I suspect he may have been Algerian, based on his accent and the fact the performer is, is French-Algerian, I believe, as well. Um, okay. Sorry. <laughs> I, mean, I feel like I pooped on Andrew's little rant there. Again, like, I liked that they were making um, overtures to diversity, but it doesn't work if it's the only thing you know about the character. <laughs> like, it doesn't work if, like, the only thing of significance the chief ever said is, like, they took my land. <laughs> and, you know, and there's nothing else to him. Like, that is yeah, when it does actually fair. just start to feel like it's more, tokenism. Which... Yeah is a word I rarely use because I think it's normally deployed to say... To like, diminish it. Or to, to diminish it, it yeah. or to say less of, this, less of people who aren't white. Like, no one wants yeah. to see that. 
But I do think it's like, yeah, if you're going to include these characters, make them at least three characters, dimensional. yeah, yeah, well, two dimensional, maybe. Two. Yeah, I mean, even two dimensional. This was just like. I feel. I feel like line. Spud singing is the most character development any of them gotten. He's the sure. Scottish guy. Sure. Like so, that's, yeah. <laughs> Spud likes to sing. He yeah. doesn't like to shoot people. <laughs> this is his dating profile. I guess um, you don't have to really round them out if you're just looking for like a small pat on the back. Um, <laughs> yeah. So with the danger of discouraging, yeah, it 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 it, oh, it, I, did, I, it did it did it did feel fairly kind of well I, a little bit cynical. Oh, I, I thought like I thought that. Had less of a problem. I do think they could have been more rounded out. But I do like that you get li- you got lines like Sammy talking about how you need the wrong color to be an actor, right? And, and you do get stuff like that, the chief pointing out that yeah, Steve Trevor for all that Steve Trevor is a good guy and charming and above average. Um, he's also you know it's not as if his history is particularly bloodless as well. And I feel like yeah, having a character as this solely to point that out is a bit cynical, but I feel like it fits with the the themes of what the movie's doing. I'm really not mad about Chris Pine. Really? I don't know if it's all got to do with uh, you hate the Star, Star Trek Nine Hundred Two One Zero. I mean, the worst of the four Chris's. No, yes, I is. would disagree. He's the worst of the four Chris's. No, <laughs> who do you think the worst of the four Chris's is? Pratt. Really? Oh no! What? Pratt did Passengers. That's an oh, I haven't seen it, but he also did Parks and Rec. He also did Jurassic World. I again haven't seen it. No, I, I'm I'm beginning to see why why this is tempered. Like a par, a par, his Parks and Rec is, I mean, he's only he's only number two in fairness, but like Parks and Rec. Hold on, brilliant. who's number one then? Hemsworth. Hemsworth Interesting. Is, Hemsworth is brilliant. I love Hemsworth. I think yeah. Hemsworth would be my number two as well. Yeah, it's um, Hemsworth, Pratt, um, Evans, Pine. Like, yeah, <laughs> Pine is the worst. <laughs> it's just Pine is Pine is. Have you seen um? Was it Hell or High Water? Yes. You didn't like him in that? I just, he does an awful lot of acting. (laughs) 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 It's just, and even in this. Why can't he just be lovable? Slow your own. But there's just too much kind of like, twitching and and sighing, and now my head is moving. And it's just like, just say the line, dude. Like, you know, which is kind of weird. I have a question. Is Chris Pine is attractive, apparently? No. Okay, I see it with Evans, I see it with Pratt, I see it with Hemsworth, but I look at Chris Pine's face and it looks almost like a character actor's face. Like, Pine seems to be one of those actors who came up and got mistaken, like James Franco. He's like, at some point somebody in Hollywood pointed him and said, there's a pretty boy lead actor, when in fact all he wants to be was a character actor. I think. I think, maybe, like, I can understand, like, why he is pretty. I just... I, okay. I'm not personally like picking up what he's throwing down. I, I liked him in the um, Wet Hot American Summer. Um, oh, yeah, everybody yeah. was in that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, the Chris's have to have a ranking. Yeah. And <laughs> I strongly disagree with that ranking, but uh, I put him number four. Interesting. All right, outvoted. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back. Yeah. I actually like to the Chris cast. <laughs> yeah. I, I, we're getting our wires crisscrossed, aren't we, Andrew? Woo! Yeah, sorry. Hi-oh. Pining for Chris. This is the point where one of you chimes in that he's a very wooden actor. But anyway, uh... <laughs> what was it? Scott Ackerman talking about the MTV Music Awards, and they were uh, they they had to come up with like these silly like introductions, and it's like. 
he's named after a tree. She's she's named after a fairground attraction. Please welcome Chris Pine and Anna Ferris Wheel. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> we spent four hours on it, and that yeah, was the best they, bag. They, <laughs> and they were—he was like talking about how amazed they were that they were being paid to write stupid jokes <laughs> like that. See, this is my calling—that that or tabloid headline writer. But yeah. I, let's let's talk about the performances then, because I actually I liked Pine in this. I thought Pine was quite effective in this, and I thought he was very effective because the role was consciously superhero partner. It was consciously like superhero girlfriend, basically Lois Lane in the 1978 Superman film to the point where you get the scene in the alleyway where like they're accosted by muggers and he's all gun shy and turns out actually she's the one with, with the ability to stop them. There, there were some, uh, it reminds me of, of, of how there were some very rubbish lines in this movie. He says to them, something along the lines of, have you guys <laughs> just came guy, from the bad, bad guy, guy convention? convention. <laughs> yeah, I feel like his one-liner game might not be great. No. Yeah, that was also weird that they kept giving him that joke, even though his whole thing as a character was like, humanity is more complicated <laughs> than that. It's the bad guys. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, his plan is to infiltrate a meeting of German high command by speaking English with a German accent. Sure. It's, you know, you get the sense that like they were very surprised when he came back alive from the mission they sent him on. No, but as soon as I, subtitles I, come up, like people will just leave the cinema. Yeah. <laughs> But but then just have them speak in regular accent like their regular people accents. Just accept it as a convention. I find it really weird that like the, the convention for people are speaking German is they're speaking English in a German accent. Uh, I, I, I I thought he was having a lot of fun in it, and 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 I thought you know what, Chris, you have your fun. You've earned yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I actually like yeah. I didn't like when I say he's the fourth Chris. I mean it's not that I hate him. You know, like all the Chris's have their merits. But he is... I You're not having a crisis of conscience. No. Oh my God, I'm leaving. <laughs> um, um, I actually did enjoy him more than I usually do in this. Like, um, yeah. I just find sometimes just, yeah, a lot of acting. And in this as well, just like, this yeah. is a specific criticism I have of like a lot of actors where... He's, he's Trying too hard. Just, yeah, um... That, and like because it's such a straightforward character as well it was like you don't need it but like yeah he was having fun and you know what good for him you know? the, the, the bit where they they put the lasso of truth around him and he's like nah, nah, I'm a spy I'm a spy <laughs> like I felt really good to get that off my chest I'm a spy I'm a spy <laughs> with the kind of pulpy tone of yeah. the movie as well like because the movie does feel like as much as we talked about it being indiana jones and sorry it being thor and captain america it feels very much like a throwback to the indiana jones sort of movies in a way and, and then it becomes like saving private ryan for about 10 minutes in the middle which is really disconcerting it's like uh, you know how bright and colorful and fun it is let's look at people having their legs blown off children who are orphaned Grey fields of mud. <laughs> what were those <laughs> villages that are enslaved? What was that mother and her child doing in the trench? I suspect they fled from. They fled from. They fled from. Uh, Belt would be what I would say. But were they not speaking oh. German? They were. They were subtitled. Yeah, and, but and they were speaking, speaking German, German or like Belgian. 
Oh, or maybe there's Flemish. 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 Okay, yeah. Because I was like, where are we? <laughs> <laughs> I thought the Germans were the bad guys. I know they told us <laughs> the, we were going to Belgium. I just forgot. <laughs> Germans at that point in the war had, had a new tactic of, of firing women and children out of cannons across <laughs> no, <laughs> no Man's, man's Land. land. Yeah. So that's how it got the name No Man's Land, because you could fire women and children across it, but not men. No. And she was like, oh, we were enslaved. And I was like, are you enslaved here? Like, were you enslaved <laughs> elsewhere? Was, it was really unfair. <laughs> that would be a hell of a twist. It turns, out, <laughs> it turns out that the Allies are actually just using this to set up some sort of slavery. Um, actually, let's talk a bit about Gal Gadot then. Right. Um, and, and what we... I was surprised at how good she was in this. Having, having seen her in, like, kind of the Fast, Fast and, and Furious, Furious movies. Yeah, yeah. Where, like, she's... I mean, she's great in it obviously in some ways because a lot of the reason that she's in the likes of Fast and the Furious 5 is because she's absolutely gorgeous but she was actually really good in this I, I, I thought yeah I, I really enjoyed the performance um, I think she uh, yeah she's just good like she's good as Wonder Woman yeah you know she works for the part I'm not sure if that's like she has huge acting chops or if she just really really works in the part but I think she, yeah, I think she has a very sort of broad style actually. I think that like as much as, as Chris Pine felt like he was acting, she's sort of casting like I don't think say her dialogue delivery is particularly brilliant, but I mm. think she's very good physically in terms of like she commits to the bits to like there's the great shot of her trying to leave the store with the sword and mess and trying to figure out how a revolving door works. Mm. Which is like the, the goofiest fish out of water sequence imaginable. But she sort of commits to it, or the bit where she's trying on dresses. Or even the bit where she's sort of, she, she's wide-eyed and sort of like looking at, like when, when she reacts with horror, when she reacts with emotion, I think she plays it very sort of broad and very sort of like sweeping in a way that's like theatrical, that's very sort of like loud and very sort of like in a way that reminds you of, say, Christopher Reeve doing Superman. It's, it's a way that's archetypal, which is, I think, fits for a superhero. Movie. Yeah, and then like in this movie, especially because we're sort of establishing her in like our world, she does like all her lines are like that's horrible that's amazing like, she doesn't need to you should be very proud it's, you it's, should be very ashamed it's all fairly straightforward so she doesn't need to like bring a lot of nuance to yeah. that so and i think it works very well here's the thing about the, the power could easily have been terrible though. It, yeah like, it, yeah yeah it could easily have been terrible considering um, like like christopher Reed, i think he came from like juilliard or where did he? Am I getting that completely wrong? <laughs> no, we're, I don't, we're, we're I, rolling with it now. I don't. I don't think he, 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 he hadn't. He hadn't really been in movies. Yeah. But uh, but I but I believe he was uh, as an established theater actor. I could be completely wrong. But uh, Gal, Gal Gadot, on the other hand, is more of uh, when 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 you when when you take somebody who 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 I guess could be a model. And, and and put them in 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 a movie uh, i guess your some some sometimes your expectations can be a little bit lower yeah but but like it, it, and sometimes it, it's surprising and sometimes it's not yeah like like say um cara delavine in um well, i mean even in, even like in, to, in suicide squad or even to pick like what's um like even to pick like Patty Jenkins' film Monster, which Charlize Theron, who was yeah. primarily known for her modeling, um, like that was a phenomenal performance, and she's one of the I would argue she's one of the better actors, yeah, like working today. Well, it's incredible to think that like Charlize Theron could would 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 ever not be taken seriously. I yeah, suppose it's sure. a bit reductive to think yeah. that like because somebody is 
attractive physically. Yeah, but I suppose it would be because of the likes of like uh, Fast and Furious. But then again, if 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 you brought somebody into Fast and Furious and they were like. Um, rating the performances of the actors like yeah, the, <laughs> Vin Diesel uh, world class lesbian I think it's important even if you're a great actor like leave it at home yeah. and, uh, or even if you're Helen Mirren um, yeah. which to pick an actual example um, yeah, she plays Jason Statham's mother because ah. all British actors in this film franchise must be related Luke Evans is his brother Yes, that's right. Which is really strange because I felt like watching Fast and Furious 8, I remember being more happier to see Luke Evans than Jason Statham. I was wondering when that happened. And and do you, do you think Fast and Furious 8 deserves to be on the 250? <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I haven't seen 8. Yes. Um, nor, nor right. Top of the list. Um, no, no way. <laughs> I think I've seen up to 5. Really? Yeah. I would argue I've seen from 5. Um, <laughs> Together, we make the perfect team. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all your Fast and Furious questions answered. What was up with the accents on Paradise Island? Yeah, I was about to say, um, I, I'm not going to use their name right now. Robin Wright? And I'm all, I, know, I want to get this right. Uh, it's not Antiope. It's, Is it not? Oh, okay. No, it's, no, I want to get this right. Antiope? Antiope? <laughs> <laughs> um, Antiope, there you oh, are. I should yeah. have said it. Sorry. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's okay. It was like an hour <laughs> later. Antiope, <laughs> when she, at certain points, and this was just taking me out yeah. of it so much, she sounded like a Nord woman from That's Skyrim. It sounded, the accent, like, I feel like the actors on the island were sort of adjusting their accent around Gadot, right? And it's like, this this yes. island is probably somewhere around Greece, but there's a little bit of Israel in there. Yeah. And so, like, Robin Wright is like, Beckett, I'm going Scandinavian. Yeah. What's it the bit where, we should protect the island from invasion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I love Robin Wright, and I like That's that she... It was like, it is literally like, it is not easy being a woman in Skyrim. And I was like, <laughs> Yeah, it was very strange. It's, it's like in um, uh, Alexander, where <laughs> Colin Farrell is is Alexander. So, um, like, like they, I know, I know that Oliver Stone justified it and said, like, oh, the people of Macedonia would have been like the Irish, really. Um, you think about yeah, it. Yeah, but then all of the kid actors are are like. Um, Tell us about the Persians, Aristotle. Um, it's, yeah. Well, it's, it, yeah, it really does seem like, especially some of the smaller kind of uh, roles for the Amazonians, that they were just like, oh, we should just talk like yeah, just Gal Gadot. Listen to how Gal Gadot speaks. I'm, sort of... I'm not sure they were even like, let's speak like her. I think they were just like, an accent. <laughs> Any accent. <laughs> you know, an accent that is not my accent and maybe faintly sounds like English isn't my first language. Yeah. Go. Faintly European. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that, that sort of jumped out at me a bit because like, I, I like Robin Wright. I think Robin Wright is great. Uh, although I did like the Batman Begins-esque training sequence. You think the war will be fair? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what accent that was. <laughs> it was even less convincing than Robin Wright's. Whoa, is that um, not how she normally no. talks? <laughs> I've been watching House of Cards wrong all this time. Um, but yeah, it did, it did sort of, it was a bit striking. Um, they could have got Diane Kruger. 
yeah. Actual had European her to, Yeah, talking her, her, yeah, her, her regular accent. Regular accent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But then people would wonder why, why there was a German speaking on the island. Why there was a German accent on the island that was not monstrous. Well, they all speak like a hundred languages. So maybe they're just like, oh, well, whatever I learned first. <laughs> yeah, I'll go with the accent here. Um, yeah. The only reason they're, they're speaking in, in English is because all the television is in English. <laughs> It's the only signal they can get out there in the middle yeah. of the ocean. All episodes of Friends. Just a constant repeat. Somehow yeah. in, in, in like all the Humanity language. is worth saving. Yeah. If only for this reason. What do we think about the um, the backstory to the, to the film, actually, in terms of like, it, the, there's a lot of exposition in the opening 20 minutes. Of hmm. I kind of wanted the movie to start with an action set piece, a little like to 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 kind of set up that kind of um oh we're 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 watching a superhero movie like i'm already excited this is i mean i don't i I don't know to what extent that would have been service and and i suppose maybe they were counting on people not having seen (laughs) um batman versus superman it's like hope hope enough people haven't seen Batman versus Superman for this movie to be successful. <laughs> um, um, oh yeah, well, this and is we the, better set it up. Um, yeah, this is the, the horrible introduction of um, of the with the Bruce Wayne where he sends her the picture. Yeah. Uh, because everybody likes Batman, right? And the way to sell a Wonder Woman movie is to make sure that Batman is not actually in it, but that his name is in it a lot. And maybe not his name, but like his real name. Like I feel, <laughs> I feel like Bruce could have like couriered that rather than having it delivered in a giant black van labeled Wayne Enterprises by two guys who presumably flew all the way over from the States in a black van labeled Wayne Enterprises to drop it off at the Louvre. They, they were trying to think of ways uh, like, to, to make Ben Affleck seem more likable. It's like, let's not put him in it. Have you ever seen Suicide Squad? Yes. yes. Yeah. I watched it on a ferry. <laughs> I feel like I like that Andrew had to justify it. It's like I was trapped. There was nowhere I could go and nothing I could do. I had no option but to watch it. But like it, it is really desperate in its sort of in its like look, Batman's in this movie. People like Batman. Let's get you to watch this movie. Do we watch Batman? Um, I feel like we haven't had Batman on screen in thirty minutes. So let's cut to a shot of Batman. Um, and I feel like even in, in Wonder Woman where you have that where it's like it's neatly quarantined at the start and at the end and Ben Affleck doesn't actually appear. There's still a weird sense of, like, we need to have something tangentially related to Batman in here. Mm. Is it not also that they're building up to Justice League? Well, the shared universe. Aspect. And it's kind of, you know, sort of establishing that they're just in touch. <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea that, like, after Wonder Woman does whatever it is in Paris, she just sends a text saying, you know, just stopped a bunch of thermonuclear terrorists, lols. And um, they might be establishing Batman-Wonder Woman romance. Well, that was the animated one, wasn't yep, it? Yeah, which is the only version of Batman I have any time for. So, yeah. I, actually, I, I don't like Wonder Woman having a superhero boyfriend, but I feel like there are people who believe that like Wonder Woman and Superman should be a thing. Oh, that's and the, that's, that was the New 52. That was, yeah. But it's burn just it to the ground. a terrible like. decision in general. But I like, like, if you have to pair Wonder Woman up with a member of Just League, and to be clear, you don't, uh, <laughs> but if you, if you feel a compulsion to... I like the pairing of Wonder Woman and Batman. I feel like that's a much better pairing. I don't even like them as a pairing. I just like them having chemistry that is never acted upon. So, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Well, Batman has the mentality of a 12-year-old. Um, sure. Like, he's, yeah. I, I don't think he's quite ready for that level of commitment. 
But um, well, actually, to be fair, one of the things I like about Wonder Woman is that when it when it gets going, ignoring the framing sequences, like it's a relatively self-contained movie. Like, there's no point in the middle of it where you have, like, oh my god, it's the Infinity Stones, or oh my god, this is secretly Darkseid, or oh my god, this is the, the thing that you're going to see in the movie that we're releasing in November. It's like, mm. actually, it's just like, hey, here's a, a neat self-contained narrative that unfolds with no connection to anything else, and to be honest, like, the Amazons are probably going to pop up in Justice League or whatever, but, like, Chris Pine is probably not going to be back for the sequel, mm. um, which we can say because we're in the spoiler zone. And, like, there's not even a post-credit sequence, which I kind of like. Like, I feel... One of the things that's exhausting, because we, myself and Andrew went to see Guardians of the Galaxy uh, 2 recently, and that has five, oh, five post credits. That was terrible. It's just gratuitous. exhausting. Yeah. Like, it feels like going to, to a movie is almost like checking a list of, of things that you expect to see. And I like post credit sequences because I don't think people watch the credits enough. <laughs> um, Andrew feels like you should appreciate the work of the people who made this movie thank yeah, you very much and even appreciate the people who made the credits <laughs> <laughs> there are not enough credits for credits <laughs> if Andrew were designing the credits there would just be the last title card would be big and stylish credits by Andrew Corey. I, I like I like occasionally taking names from um, the credits and thinking oh that would be a good character in a, if I take that person's forename <laughs> and that person's surname and combine them, yeah, yeah. Um, well, this is what you're you, what you were but also the, talking about this earlier, where like you have characters replaced by Ice Cube and oh. by DMX, <laughs> and you give them names like John Temple. It feels kind of <laughs> underwhelming to give these sort of these characters with distinctive names, uh, boring mundane names. Yeah, yeah. It is nice that they put Wonder Woman in a self-contained movie. And, like, I mean, I guess the whole movie is her origin story. You know, it's like she yeah. came up through World War One, and that's just taken care of now. And hopefully we don't <laughs> she need... She killed war. <laughs> and hopefully we, like, in future movies featuring her, we won't need too many flashbacks, because it's just like there's a whole movie dedicated yeah. to this. So, um, but yeah, I did think they spent a bit too long hanging around on Themyscira. It was like, do we have to do that in a 20-minute block right at the start? I feel like we kind of did. Like, I don't really know how else. And I think you do need all that context for who she is and what she's about. I even just like the scene of her as a little girl doing the little punchy fighty thing. Yeah, it was like, nice. Like, and again, this is like... That's the, the movie. But the, <laughs> no, Andrew, no. That's not the movie. But I feel like this is like the Ghostbuster thing where it's like kids, boys have lots of movies they can go and see where they get to punch and beat stuff up. I feel like yeah, we want girls to punch and beat stuff up too. Yeah, I feel like the world would be a better place, but I do feel like there's there's value in in that of itself. I also kind of like because I'm a I'm a guy who likes structure and I'm a guy who likes symmetry. What? Yeah, I I know. <laughs> who would have thought this? Uh, but I do like that while the movie is not tied into the other DCU movies in the way that like it's like oh it's it's. Thanos or Darkseid or whatever, or ooh, look, it's a cameo from whoever. I like that it's structurally very similar to the other movies in there, in that, for example, like you have the opening sequence that spends 20 minutes like on, on Themyscira, the same way that Man of Steel did 20 minutes on Krypton, where you have like an animated history of that character's world and backstory, like where you have Russell Crowe explaining how Krypton colonized their, their world and how they exiled their prisoners in the same way that you have like um, Hippolyta explaining to, to, to Wonder Woman or to Diana how the gods came to be and how this sort of background is. 
And even even little stuff like at the climax of the film, like you have this this relic from this dead world, from this lost world, uh, coming back and offering to rebuild this mythical landscape. So, for example, in Man of Steel, you have Zod showing up with the world engine that can literally rebuild Krypton on Earth. But even here, you have Ares showing up and being like, well, look, if we commit genocide, we can have this perfect, like, godlike paradise built. Like, I like the idea that it's it's a similar arc, and it's a similar arc not in the way that all superhero origins are similar arcs, because you obviously you have the Campbell structure, but in a way that is, I think, quite intentionally. Uh, like, there's a number of clear beats, and I feel like like one of the interesting things was when we were watching the, the credits, which Andrew reads, um, Andrew, I guess, I feel like that that's really insulting. Like, it's saying Andrew doesn't read in general, but he reads credits. No, I feel like uh, the, the point is Andrew is a person who <laughs> that reads That is credits. accurate. <laughs> <laughs> like, Andrew, Andrew's a person who reads credits, and, like, no one else reads credits. But where he goes, Zack Snyder wrote this. And, and it's like, and the implication being Zack Snyder wrote this, and it's good. But I feel like that might have been his contribution. It was like, well, look, how about we make sure that there's a symmetry between, say, Wonder Woman and Superman, um, and we establish them both as gods, like, like Superman is obviously like a a 50s science movie god and Wonder Woman as like a classic mythical god by mapping out their journey in a way that there are obvious thematic parallels. And like, that's not to diminish. Like, I feel like Wonder Woman is Patty Jenkins' film. Like, I feel like the version that makes it to the screen, and, and Jenkins has talked about how, like, Jenkins walked away from Thor 2 because she felt like she couldn't make the movie she wanted to make. And she's talked about how when she was making Wonder Woman, she had scenes and beats that she wanted to include and she made a point to fight for them and she got them included when the studio was like, for example, the, the No Man's Land sequence. Um, apparently the studio looked at that and said, what the hell are you doing here? What, what is the point of this sequence? Like, there's no big battle. What's she supposed to do, fight a bullet? And, and Jenkins was like, no, that's, that's not the actual point of the scene. The point of the scene is just to show her being awesome. And they're like, well, we can kind of, uh, you know, you're, you're lucky you're not spending Batman Superman money doing this. But um, I, I, I get that. I like that there's, there is that sort of, it's similar structurally to the other DCU movies, but that it is Jenkins' movie through and through. Like, and I feel like actually that's probably like for all the DCU have been terrible in some regards. I feel like one of the things I like about it is the sense that it's people talk about like Marvel and DC as if that's the comparison to make here. It's not. It's the comparison between Disney and Warner Brothers in terms of how they make films. Right. So Disney. Is a studio that has been largely risk averse since the mid 2000s when John Carter of Mars imploded. When they gave a director a bunch of money to go out and to make his science fiction epic in the way he wanted to make it, and it just bombed. And so since then, the studio has been kind of wary of making big investments in, in autorist visions and has, has favored a more focus group tested approach. And that, that's something you see not just in the Marvel movies, but in, in other stuff, well, arguably in the Star Wars movies as well. Whereas Warner Brothers have historically adopted like a, a, an auteur-friendly approach. So, for example, like Woody Allen would have made many of his movies with them, for example. Or Clint Eastwood would have had a recurring arrangement with the studio where he gets to do whatever he wants to do for a reasonable budget, and they'll produce it, and, and they'll put it out because they'll know there's an audience for it, and they'll know it's good, and he'll know that they won't interfere with it. And like one of the things about Warner Brothers' tentpoles is that they've typically worked because they've allowed directors to make their own mark. So, for example... The Nolan Batman films are probably the best example because those are undeniably Nolan films, even if they're Batman films. But like, say, Fury Road, which Fury Road is like a great story. It's like George Miller said, "I want to go to, uh, I want to go to Australia and I want to film this movie." He's like, "Okay, I can't go to Australia. I want to go to South Africa and I want to film this movie on a budget of eighty million." And George, 
And they go and they take it back and Warner is like, uh, they have a look at the cut and they go, well, look, have a bit more money, go back and do some more stuff. And he's like, well, if you insist. Um, and you end up with this really awesome movie as a result. And occasionally you end up with stuff like Man of Steel or Batman Superman where they go to Snyder, here's a massive budget, go do what you want. And Snyder's like, yeah, <laughs> I'm Rand, here we go. And the result is maybe not what you would want it to be. But I feel like it's an accurate glimpse into how he sees the world. Oh yeah, but I mean, I think the thing with Snyder is like ultimately he doesn't really like superheroes. I, I mean, that's kind of forming all that. So yeah, it's certainly like his vision yeah. of really not having much time for superheroes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, I feel like Wonder Woman is Jenkins' movie. I feel like like Wonder Woman is the result of like somebody who who. Like, she's been wanting to get this movie made since 2010. Mm. Um, to the point where I think it went to Michelle McLaren, who directed, she did some work on The X-Files, on Breaking Bad, on, she's done some Game of Thrones as well. Um, and she, she's regarded as one of the, the hot and up-and-coming directors. Again, she hasn't had the opportunity that other male directors have had, like, say, for example, Alan Taylor, who eventually went on to direct Thor 2, which bombed, Terminator Genesis, which bombed, um, and some other stuff, which I'm sure will also bomb. Um, sorry, I feel I feel like I'm being mean to Alan Taylor here, just just to prove a point. But I feel like like Wonder Woman is the movie Jenkins wants to make, and I feel like the film the film that we see is that. I feel like there's no point at which she was taken aside and told that you have to have this, you have to have that, you can't under any circumstances. Sure, I mean I didn't feel much Snyder from the trailer. <laughs> <laughs> really? Not not in the general contempt for human beings. I mean, yeah, a bit, but like but then like the general respect for like Wonder Woman as a concept was there. So that was nice, you know. Awesome. Is there anything else about uh Wonder Woman that sort of jumped out that anybody wants to sort of Yeah, no, I just think like I said right at the beginning, like it was an extremely competent superhero movie and I don't mean that in a derisive way. Like I think that's enough. And it has, I think, really hopefully set her up to take the DC Cinematic Universe forward in a better direction than <laughs> so far. Like, if that's the Wonder Woman we get in the Justice League movies, like, I'm on board. So. Absolutely. I do feel disappointed that we have to talk about movies in that sort of going forward direction. I feel well, like. Well, I mean, I think with comics, era. though, yeah. like, uh, with certain franchises, I'm like, it's, it's annoying, but I mean, com- this is what comics do, like, this is what the source material yeah. is doing. It's like. They have continuing stories. Yeah, and also, way. like, you're 12 issues in, you're the crossover. And you're like, <laughs> I don't want to. I really don't want to read this massive <laughs> Zack Snyder <laughs> epic. Yeah. Um, I just want the Patty Jenkins Nobody series. Nobody wants to read Stormwatch or whatever it is. Um, yeah, so, but, yeah, hopefully, I think if they are, like, set on building this universe. Like, I always find it interesting because I think Grant Morrison does do this in Super Gods. Marvel was always intended to be a cohesive universe. Yeah, it was built from scratch for that purpose. DC was a bunch of characters kind of bolted together. Yeah. And I do think that's still, like, what drags the DC universe down to a certain extent, but hopefully going forward they'll have something a bit more cohesive. And yeah, like I have almost given up on the DC universe because I am such a fan of the comics that I'm just like leave me alone, like <laughs> stop all over things I like. <laughs> but you know, this has actually sort of reinvigorated my faith in it. Yeah. 
All right, then, with that in mind, uh, Marianne, where can we find you online? Mm. Uh, so I blog at massivehassle.com. Uh, my Twitter handle, um, yeah, it's just my Twitter handle, actually. <laughs> um, so I'm on Twitter, I'm um, at tiny orc. Like a little orc. Case there's any ambiguity. I want those two words together in that combination. I'm Lord of the Rings orc. Small. Tiny. Even one might say. Is it spelt with an I? Is there an underscore? I feel like when we're searching for you. Is that an orc? I feel like when people are searching for you on Twitter, it's not like there's a concept search. It's not like, I can't find if this is the tiny orc that I'm looking for. It's like a Maria orc. Um, Now people remember it though, so that's great. (laughs) All right, we'll put those up in the shows. Um, Thank you very much for stopping by. Thank you for having me, guys. It's been great fun. Yeah, thank you very much. Cheers. All right, we'll see you next week. Bye Bye bye.